Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Merlin, man. John. Uh Merlin, man. Hmm. Ooh, that sounds, uh, that sounded like a meditation thing. I'm just sitting here meditating, (laughs) meditating on how great life is and how good I have it. Oh boy. Did you have a bad morning? Every, every minute of a day is just a blessing. I'm dressed already. I'm not naked for this podcast. I've had, I've had coffee. I just feel so blessed. You know, life, life is a present that we give ourselves. Hmm. Life is a president that we give ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew Johnson doesn't get the credit he deserves, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I feel like, you know, my, my, my general feeling that the world is going to hell and that it is largely a product of the fact that we have made it unfashionable to punch people in the nose, <laughs> it's, it's just not accurate. And what I really need to feel is that every day is a blessing. That's a that's a, you know what that is really refreshing. Um, mm. Wow, mm. are you familiar with the work of Susan Paulus Schultz? Hmm. Does she Paulus Schultz's? No, no, John. She doesn't. She writes. Uh, <clears throat> she, she I, I think she had quite a run in the seventies and eighties writing mm. those uh, greeting cards with oh. like watercolors on the front. Oh, I got a. I I, <clears throat> I received a great many of those. Yeah. You know, my mom um, is someone who expresses herself through greeting cards. That is so hard to believe. So uh, I, it is, it's very out, out, out of character, but I have a greeting card from her. Not a greeting card, but a birthday card mm-hmm. from her for every year of my life. She was life. really precisely greeting you. Not, not greeting me, except like greeting each new day with a, with a, with a, um, an aphorism. Mm-hmm. But you know there would I, it would be there, so that there there would be a card with a sunset on it and there would there would usually be some kind of onion paper in front of the paper of the card right so that at first you look right. at the card and it's like kind of through a gauze and then mm. you open the onion paper and there is mm. the sentiment written in cursive well, as though then, it, it as though it had to be protected from from a, a caustic world yeah or or uh, that it is that it is an an excerpt an apocrypha from the Bible. Uh, it's some kind of middle portion of the Bible that 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 got <laughs> taken out. Like somebody with white cotton gloves has to take it out of a hermetically sealed case. Take it out of each Bible, each Bible, which is the you know, unerring word of God. And then there's this thing that says, you're the best son a mom could ever want to have. Aww. And then you open it up inside, and then it's also another... Th- it's inside, a psych. <laughs> no, inside it furthers that thought with yes. a poem... And then uh, my mom would sign it. Gosh. And sometimes, sometimes she would echo the sentiment by saying, you're a good son. Wow. Do you think she really believed that? I think she did. Yeah. You know, moms have, moms have certain blinders where they think that their, their, their terrible child, who's a force of pure destruction in the world, is actually a nice boy. I don't want to open an old wound, but it's a lot like the pit bull problem. They, they may just be remembering the days that you didn't tear a child apart. Mm-hmm. Not not that they do that, but I, I you know, just, she she thanked me on my thirtieth birthday for for having survived. Oh no! See, no, that's really sweet. But it was inside. Yeah, well, of, it was a very emotional moment, actually. <laughs> was it it was like, thanks, thanks. <laughs> well, no, she said, you know, from the time you were fifteen until now, I 
every time the phone rang at night, I was sure that they were calling to say that you were dead. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a real uh, mixed uh, kind of feeling, huh? Yeah. So anyway, hmm. now that you're 30, I can't believe it. And congratulations, and I'm really glad. And I was like, oh God, I'm 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 sorry uh, <laughs> that I made you feel that. 15 years that's I, I guess you wouldn't say quite passive aggressive because that doesn't seem like your mom's style but oh no no, no not at all no she was she's she being was, sincere she's ex- being sincere she was explaining to me a very a very like not just sincere but like a massive truth that has, that continues to settle on my shoulders which is that in order for her in order to survive herself she had to inure herself against the possibility that i might die at any time Oh God! And that psychologically, that was a lot of work and a lot of heartbreak. To uh, to say, I think what she said was, um, "I loved the years I had with you." Mm-hmm. So knowing that you were certain to die, I had to be happy with the the great times that we had. Oh my gosh! But she she's trying. She was trying to make it through those years where I was. Where I was having all those high adventures that people think were so are, make me such an interesting person. I wouldn't it, say that, but you, you're definitely a handful, right? You're a handful fact, for a while. In fact, no, nah, not a handful. A handful. A handful is what you say about a about a puppy that pees on the rug. I was a um, yeah, a pistol. I was no a pistol is what you say about a little old lady who wears red cowboy boots. I, I was. Uh, were you quite a ball player? I, I was a homicidal maniac. <laughs> uh huh. Which is not, which is not something that you. That, that's not something you would say about a puppy. That's not something that you would say about an old lady, unless, of course, she was a homicidal maniac. Um, well, I, I, I. But somehow I, I made it. Somehow I made it out. Well, let me. I'm so and glad you did. It is a blessing, it every, is a blessing and it, it's a, it's a present that you put under your own tree. I'm going to read you something. I don't know if this is I don't know if this is covered by fair use, but I'd like to read you one of the works of Susan Paula Schultz, if you don't mind. Is this this is going to be some situation where we get accused of plagiarism, and then we have to explain that no, I am attributing fact, it. I am attributing in it. In fact, to we Susan. put lipstick on that picture, and so it's now a new work. You know what? I think I might be saying her name wrong. It's Schutz, which I think <laughs> might be German for something. Schutz is German for sit. So Susan Paula sit. That sounds sit. like a command to a doggy. Should should. Sh- no shoot shoots is shoot uh oh, shush as in as in the uh, shoots and fest and yeah, yeah it's a shoot it's a shooting scheisse <laughs> now, what, what is it uh, oh no sit actually sit in german is sits how do you say sith like darth vader how do you say that sith and scheisse sith is written a uh, sith is part of an international intergalactic space language and it's translated the same in the Earth language. You know, I had a, I had a professor in college who, who, after years later... That's a good place to have a professor if you're going to have one. ...became one of the, perhaps the preeminent scholar of the Klingon language. <laughs> My esteem for your university education just went through the roof. I took his mnemonics class. <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, it's very difficult to teach people things. I think it's very difficult to teach people... Poetry, or as my... It's very difficult to teach people things now that we can't use branding iron. (laughs) (laughs) That was a a muted bell. I don't want to go nuts. Let me just finish this. (laughs) Cough button. Let me finish this. Let me finish. Here's the thing. It's difficult. You know, sometimes you have to teach people something based on teaching them what it is not or should not be. 
Mm. And I, I, you know, I, if you, that's you, how that's how <clears> I <throat> teach young girls what safe touch is. Okay, so anyway, first, you can read do unsafe touch. Richard Hugo. Uh, has a wonderful book on verse. I know you love Richard Hugo. No, I know, but I mean, his book on verse is actually, uh, what is it? Um, Real West Marginal Way? That's his biography. I forget the name of the... Uh, You're oh, not going to oh. start talking about bird by bird, are you? There was one person, I, was, I don't think it was my professor, I think he was quoting someone, but for example, this is a great piece of advice for anybody. Um, you're, you're, you're not a... You, you, you should just avoid the word love. And I oh. think there's one rule. I'm trying to remember what, exactly what the rule is, but it's something along uh, the lines of you're not allowed to use love uh, as, a, as a transitive verb for the first nine years you write poems. Something like that. You know what? I've been saying that to every girl I've dated since 1986. <laughs> you're a t- you know what you are? You're a poetry teacher. <laughs> this is, I uh, really am. This is some verse. This is some verse uh, from Susan Paula Schutz called I Love You So Much. <laughs> and it's, it's the kind of thing I've been trying to find a way to say to you. I I'm love s- you so much. I'm so glad you've made it to 40-something, and I'm really, I'm really glad. So I'd like to read you Let's a short it. bit of verse called I Love You So Much. Are you ready? And by yes. the way, I am going to draw you uh, something... I'm going to paint you something in watercolors and send this to you with tissue on it. I love you. Uh, now, now are, you, are you going to pronounce the word love with a W instead of an L? It's also very important to have what's called metaphysical distance, which is right. you can't we, be too matchy-matchy. You can't be too close with things like the title, right? I think you and I have a lot of metaphysical distance working here right now. I think so this is something Richard Hugo talks about. It's called I Love You So Much. Since I met you, I've been so happy, except mm-hmm. that I find myself worrying all the time. Uh-oh. Worrying that I might disappoint you, worrying that our relationship might end, worrying that you might not be happy, worrying that something might happen to you. I I have fallen in love with you, and I guess I worry so much because I I care so much about you. Oh my god. Fan. Oh, fuck you. I love you so much. (laughs) Susan Polishes. Oh, that's the most fucked up poem I ever heard. Surprise you to learn that I she like has a the, lot of I love these. you so much I watch you breathe while you're sleeping. <laughs> and I think maybe about smothering you. Sometimes when I think about how much I love you, I watch you sleep and you look like a baby. <laughs> would it would it surprise you to learn that she has a lot of these? It would not surprise me at all. Let me just, if you don't mind, I think this is covered by fair use. If you don't mind, <clears throat> I would like to read you a short piece of verse by Susan Paulus Schutz called Thoughts of You. It would not surprise me to learn that she had that she had a lot of uh, dead rubber dolls around her house. <laughs> let's let's go back to this. this is, John, it's, I've been waiting for years. I'm so glad you made it to something 40. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to send this. And this is by Sh- Susan Paula Schutz. It's not by me. It's called Thoughts of You. In the morning, when the sun is just starting to light the day, mm-hmm. I'm awakened. <laughs> My first thoughts are of you. <laughs> at night, I stare at the dark trees silhouetted against the quiet stars. I am entranced into a complete peacefulness, and my last thoughts are of you. <laughs> now, here's the thing. If you imagine this being a 50-year-old woman who's drinking tea, it's really super sweet. Like, especially if it's her husband who's sick or something, right? This would be so sweet. Imagine this being a 32-year-old man who's cleaning a gun. <laughs> thoughts, or even, of, thoughts of you in the even morning. a 50 year old woman who is drinking gin yeah you know like they're there and really even a 50 year old woman who's drinking tea i don't I, I don't want anyone to think of me as their last thought of the day and then their first thought of the next day that's too much john thinking. i gotta tell you something buddy i think that i think if you're 16 
If you're 14, that is completely understandable because you're still mm-hmm. 11 years from having the middle part of your brain finish forming. Right, you're, but you're, do you remember how painful that was? It was brutally painful, and it's totally understandable. And if you wrote worst. this when you were 14, yeah. if you wrote this when you were a 32-year-old lone gunman, or, mm-hmm. or you wrote this when you were out buying a used white van, and, a, and I'm just telling you, this is this is not right. But if you wrote that when you were a 26-year-old girl... Like who is beautiful in a flowered dress and riding a vintage bicycle with flowers in the basket. Mm. I would love to get a poem from that girl. If you if you wrote that, even as that girl, there is still something wrong with you. There is no time <laughs> after you are about fourteen years old that that amount of obsession about another person Just, is healthy. This is okay. Let's 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 stipulate. This is a little bit like going after Rob McEwen. We are we are shooting fish in a, in, in, a, in a lovely flowered barrel here. Well, but and uh, and but I, it but, is but also, super creepy. But also, I'm I I recognize mm-hmm. my uh, I recognize that there are people who fall in love with one another and they call each other four times a day for the rest of their lives, and they are happy. And the rest of the world is just a backdrop to the play that they are writing for and about one another. Mm-hmm. But I cannot identify with that personally. What do you think of like Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy? I doubt that they called each other four times a day. No, they I had, be- they had know, jobs. Yeah, I bet you that they high-fived on their way out the door in the morning. Yeah. And then at night they sat around and uh, he played the piano and she told ribald stories. And there were four or five, you know... Uh, Cary Grant was there. And they had like maybe like martinis or something. Four or five friends. Uh, they had martinis. And then, uh, you know, they went off to sleep in separate bedrooms because that's what people did then. There's this phrase you, you use, and I, I want to get the exact quote, uh, screaming in your head, the screaming in one's head. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that I don't want to sound cynical, John. As you know, I never want to come off cynical. There's I know, a part and of you me, certainly don't. Thank you. There's a part of me that thinks if you're calling anybody four times a day, it might be because you don't want to hear the screaming in your head. That's exactly right. And and the and the, you know the devil dogs are nipping at your heels, <laughs> and r- rather than keep running, yeah, for that ten minutes, you need you're, to call somebody. You're out say, of breath. How's your day? Mm-hmm. How's it going over there? Oh, good. Oh, I'm just sitting here, just thinking of you. Uh, uh. I mean, when I was when when I felt that way about somebody, I felt that way about Lori Basler. In mm. 1980. That's a crushable name. And uh, I bought her a... Uh, I went to the store at Valentine's Day uh, because we were required then. Even then, we were required to buy Valentine's for all of our classmates. And, oh, you! in retrospect, that must drive you crazy. Oh, it was, it was awful. There were some of my classmates who did not deserve a Valentine from me. <laughs> and I did not want one from them. If they deserved anything, it was not a Valentine. It was, it was an a un-Valentine. Str- it was strongly, a, a strongly worded note from your mom. What, what they deserved from me was an empty space where a Valentine would be. But I, a willful empty space. This, I went this, to, this <laughs> is a deliberately blank, intentionally blank Valentine. <laughs> this space is intentionally blank. Mm-hmm. I went to the store and I bought the, the, the one gross, of cheap Valentines for all my classmates that I was going to sit and go like, happy Valentine's day, John, happy Valentine's day, John, happy Valentine's John. But I was so crazy about Lori Basler that I spent what was at the time a large portion of my pile of quarters that I used to sit and pour over my head in my bed with the door closed. I took a lot of the quarters that I keep in jars, kept in jars and I bought Lori Basler a huge box of chocolates, mm. a giant red heart-shaped box of chocolates. And I took it to school on Valentine's Day. 
and everybody exchanged their little paper valentines. And I got a little paper valentine from Lori Baslow that said, Happy Valentine's Day, Lori. And I was ashamed. And I did not give her the box of chocolates. Oh, John. And every day from February 14th until the last day of school on June 20th, I opened my locker and there was that big red box of chocolates. And I looked at it and I said, today's the day I'm going to give the box of chocolates to Lori Basler. And I never did. And on the last day of school, my dad came to help me clean out my locker. And he said, he opened the locker and he was like, oh, look at that, a big box of chocolates. And he grabbed it and he ate it. (laughs) Problem solved. (laughs) Oh my gosh, John. I'm I'm very close to tears. That's horrible. Did you get a heart? Did you get a heart on the eye? Did I what? Is it Lori? Lori? L O R I? Did she? Did she Lori? Lori's the kind L- of name where you put a heart on the eye. L A U R I E. Oh my God, that's a cute name. Lori Basler. Did you tell him? Did you tell him what he was eating? No, I was I was covered in shame. He was like, "Why do you have this big box of chocolates in here? That's a great thing. What a happy day!" He put it on the seat in the front. He put it on the front seat of our Chrysler Newport Imperial. And uh, we and drove home. Your heart. We drove home from school with my with all my papers in a plastic bag in the, on the back seat, and he was sitting and eating all the good chocolates out of it, and saying like, "Oh, this summer's going to be great. You're going to go to tennis camp." John Dunwell, that's a good fucking love poem right there. Well, and then to make matters worse, uh, then she died of leukemia. <laughs> I'm afraid so. You're in a TV movie. I'm afraid she did. You're, and it you're was who you are. You're fucking, Rob, you're fucking Robbie Benson. Mm-hmm. That's oh, right. shit, John. That's the worst. That's right. Champ. Wake up, champ. Wake up, champ. <sighs> Old yeller. They got to take him out back. He's, mm-hmm. he's foamy. Oh, that's all. John, I'm so sorry. That's not funny. Well, that's, no, it's not. But I mean, it's it, not that was funny many years later. Many years later. But I never did ever, ever tell Lori Basler how I felt about her. And how I felt about her was that I woke up every morning and was thinking about her, and I went to bed every night and was thinking about her. It's it's so weird. I, it's think in retrospect, then when it all was said and done, it's probably just as well that you did not give her a Susan Paulus Schutz poem called "Be My Valentine," <laughs> which 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 ends thusly. Are you gonna read that? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I, I, I've committed it to memory, so I think it's covered uh, by okay, fair yeah, use. Yeah, sure. Let me see if I remember. It's uh, 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 do the scanning. Let's see. Let me remember. Oh yeah. Okay. So it ends like this: Have fun with me and whatever we do. Work with me towards common goals. Dance with me to the rhythm of our love. Walk with me throughout life. Let us hug each other at every step in our journey forever in love. Do you know how sad it would have been if you gave that to her on some candy? Well, dance with me to the rhythm of our love. (laughs) Sounds sounds suspiciously like a Rod Stewart lyric. (laughs) Followed by... I was listening to Rod Stewart last night, and he has a lyric in, in his song where he says, Spread your wings... And take me in. Mm. And I think he's talking about vaginal wings. Vaginal wings. I think he's talking about labia. Labia? <laughs> labia. 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 Labiata. <laughs> Pasta labiata. Dance with me to the rhythm of our love. Mm, when you say it, it sounds good. You know, that's a thing that I might say to a stand-up bass. <laughs> that's something I might, as I'm as I'm wrapping my arms around a, a large bass guitar or bass violin, mm-hmm. I might say, "Dance with me to the rhythm of our love." I don't want to. I don't want to make it too weird. But when you think of 
when you think of the rhythm of your love, I mean, is there anything that isn't potentially – this is another thing I learned in poetry class is you know, to be careful about saying something that could be interpreted more than one way because because hmm, you no, think no 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 wrong 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 no. you want to say everything in a poem wants to be interpreted multiple ways yes but it has to have con- a concrete image there has to be there has to be something concrete about it and if it's open to interpretation i think that's okay but you don't want to write a bunch of whole like a whole thing of ellipses you know what i mean yeah yeah right, right. and i i think that's a, so is she talking about fucking yeah she's got to be okay the rhythm of our love what the hell is that I don't, what, I, I, mm, boy, now see now. Your heart going thump, 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 and my heart going thump, thump, I don't thump. want to beat this, in the, I don't want to beat this in the ground, John, but like, once again, what if you got that on a card from that 32 year old guy? I know. Dance with me to the rhythm. Like, what if you, what if, what, what if it was a Travis, Travis Bickle type situation and you had taken time off from the campaign and you gone out on a date, he took you to a dirty, dirty movie theater and then he gave you a poem like that? Mm hmm. Well, it's just like the scene in The Graduate. Why did he take her to that strip bar? Holy he shit. He wanted to dance with her to the rhythm of his love. Holy shit, do you remember Travis Bickle? Love greeting cards. Do you remember Same. that? You know, one time I was sitting in the bath in a house that I lived in with some uh, people who had <clears throat> lots of piercings and uh, those giant earplugs that they make out of uh, sink stoppers. Mm-hmm. This was a long time ago when that was still very transgressive. And I was sitting in the, I was sitting in the bathtub and somebody was doing a load of laundry and the washing machine was going the dum 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 in in the other room I could hear it through the floor. I was sitting in the bathtub and I I might have been I might have been very stoned, but so the bathtub was going the dum the dum the dum the dum, and then overhead there's a there's a jet airplane, and the jet airplane is like because a because a jet engine noise is is a chord right there's there's multiple sounds and it makes a, it makes a chord mm-hmm. the jet is flying over and all of a sudden the chord of the, the jet is making syncs up with the thump the thump the thump of the washing machine and makes this fantastic music and i'm right in between them not right in between them i'm closer to the to the washing machine than i am to the jet but i am the only I'm the only organism, the only thing in the world, except for maybe a termite, that, that, that perceives this, this, this moment of, of like natural music being made. And I'm lying there in the bathtub and I'm like, I am the, I am the meat of this sandwich. I am the, I am the, the receptor. I am the yeah, only you were like the only sound. one there to hear it. A tree fell in the forest and I was the only one there. Mm. And, uh, and I felt like, in a sense, that was dancing with the rhythm of mm. the, the world's love. Mm. Because that's happening right now to somebody. You know what I mean? Somewhere mm-hmm. in the world right now, in Indonesia, there's a guy sitting in a room. And and, and it's, like, uh, it's like in the movie Delicatessen. There's somebody uh, fucking on a bed next door. And somebody else is sharpening a knife over here. And he oh, hears yeah. the song. He hears the music. No one else hears the music. That's what we're talking about. She well, hears you, you the would music. be so much better at this, John. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing for money these days, but I think maybe it's not a greeting card. But I think you should definitely send some anonymous notes to people. You so, could help Susan a lot of people. Schutzenfest understands <laughs> this music in a way that uh, that the rest of us can only. You think she might be hearing a jet that isn't even flying over our heads right now? Is that correct? I'm guessing, listening to a little bit of the prose that you've recited, that she 
is operating at a level of acuity. Uh, she's in tune. And she's going to tune right in on you. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. The car overheated. I called up and pleaded. There's help on the way. I called you. Collect you. Didn't accept you. Had Ooh. nothing to say. Some guys have all the luck. Yeah. Some guys have Some all the brakes. All the brakes. Yeah. yeah. Then wear the gold hat if that moves her. <laughs> if you can bounce high, bounce for her too. Till she cries lover. Gold mm. hat it. High bouncing lover. I must have you. It's late September and I really should be back at school. <laughs> I, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. Now that, <laughs> What's that's that one line. The morning sun really shows your age, isn't that? Yeah, the morning sun, when it's in your face, really shows your age. That don't worry me. None. In my in, in in my eyes, you're everything. Yeah, that's, that's right. sweet. That would be really sweet to say to somebody. You look old in the morning. You know what? You could, in the in the sixties and early seventies, I think you could still say that to your Mrs. Robinson. Hmm. You're Mrs. Robinson. It's like talking about the Holocaust. You get it out of the way. Well, you know, but back then, like a woman in her 40s felt like she was in her 40s. You know what I mean? Like the morning sun, when it's in your face, it really shows your age. And she's like, I know. I'm just glad somebody sees my face in the morning. But that don't matter. That don't bother me. None. Don't worry in me. None. Eyes, mm-hmm. Don't worry me. None. In my eyes, you're everything. And, you know, that's a turnaround. Whereas now a woman in her 40s, in my experience, at least, mm-hmm. refuses to admit she's in her 40s for the most part. And if you make any comment about her face in the morning sun, she's way ahead of you. You know what I mean? Like, mm. oh, your face in the morning. And she's like, stop right there. It's another conversation you just can't have. That's right. And you go, what? I was going to say that uh, in my eyes, you're everything. And she's like, no, no, no. That's not what you were going to say. Sh- shut up. So done hmm. and done. This is, this is another one of those things where there's words. There's bad words, right? It's off the table. That's right. Bad words. <sighs> Man. You yeah. don't say your face. Basically, you don't say your face and morning sun to a woman who's o- older than 26. Yeah, it sounds like you're playing her one-on-one. And you go, you sun, you sun in your face. Yeah, you just don't say, you don't say your face in the sun because the... the oh, it sounds like she's got like a damaged, damaged skin. Right, or, you know, like, I can see your... No, she doesn't want to hear it. I can see every cigarette you ever smoked. God, don't... <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> hey, I found a dime. <laughs> Don't talk to me first thing in the morning. Is what you know. I wake up and I say, right. the first thought I had this morning was you, your face in the morning sun, <laughs> and and I found a dime <laughs> in a crack made by all the cigarettes you smoked. Shut up. Twins. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to. I, I, I'm sorry to seem obsessed with this. It's just that, like, I, I keep turning this over in my head. I keep turning it over, turning it over, mm-hmm. and and I, I, I just I can't really land on anywhere where I'm super comfortable about it. Yeah, but this, well, I don't know if you remember this, John. She had a whole section. The shoot, the shoots and shites uh, poems. She had her own section. How would I remember that? You, you didn't go to greeting card stores <laughs> as a kid. I went to greeting card stores. <clears throat> being pulled by a team of horses and i and i managed to stop myself at the front door no i didn't go to greeting card stores i didn't go i did i never i never looked at a single self-help book my entire life there were whole sections of the bookstore that i stayed away from you just stayed over in military history not just military history but all kinds of history but also no all the exciting there are so many exciting parts of a of a bookstore why would you go yeah to a section where people were trying to tell you that they were thinking about you. You, you. you never wanted to learn how to make intercourse? You never go over the intercourse section? I was very embarrassed to read about 
how to have sex. You wouldn't just take it and carry it over to the TSR book section and no, put no, it no. inside I of fe- a Dungeon Master's Guide? I felt like a lot of things, and this is part of the problem of being a romantic, mm. <clears throat> being a born romantic, mm-hmm. is that I felt, and, th- and, and this is a problem in the arts, too, where you feel like if you're going to be good at something, you should just discover it. Hmm. You should not, you should not pollute your experience by by learning about something before you're actually trying to do it. You know what I mean? Like to go read about how to have sex after you've tried oh, to have sex a few times. That makes sense to me. Like, hmm, okay, I've done this now a few times, and I want to figure out what I'm, I'm glad doing. Doctors wrong. don't uh, subscribe to that. Well, no, but you know, every doctor that I know knew when they were 14 years old that they wanted to be a doctor. That's because they're psychotic. Well, exactly. Now, when I was 14 years old... a terrible age to decide you want to help people. I didn't even know what I wanted to do uh, that afternoon. And all of my friends that ended up being doctors were already like, I'm going to be a doctor. Well, you got to start taking the classes. You got to take biology, you know? Oh, I know. And that terrifies me. Mm -hmm. Every time I go see a doctor, I look at them and I realize, you've been doing this since you were 14. You have no other experience of the world than this. You are terrifying me now. If, you, if you're going to hire a really good soldier of fortune, you know, you're going to go in, you're going to hire that guy. You know that if that person's really good at their job, they've seen, they've seen some shit. Oh, they've been in the shit. They've made some decisions. They've definitely been in the shit. They made some decisions early on about where they're going to focus their attention. Yeah. Well, which is, which is down the, 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 the sights of a rifle, probably. When I, was a, when I was a young man, I spent a lot of time in hospitals being treated by student doctors. Because I didn't have the, I didn't have any insurance as a, as a hobby. No, I didn't have the oh, okay. money to get treated by a regular doctor, and so I would go to the, I would go to the university hospital, and they would say, "Yeah, sure, we'll take a look at your problem, but there's going to be nine of us, and every every one of the students who's who's incidentally your age, there each one of them is going to take a take a turn poking your liver." And that's how you that's how you get free medical care. You shouldn't have, John, if I could say, if, I, if this is the time I think, you shouldn't have anybody poking your liver nine times in a day. Well, so I'm lying on a gurney, Ooh. and in they file, and they're the medical students, and each one of them takes a, takes a turn poking at me with, a, you know, with their forcept. <laughs> and, uh, and I would sit there you know, and, and uh, try and make light of the situation. Ha-ha! Hey, here we all are. <laughs> Only one of us is covered in blood, though. <laughs> oh, gosh. And uh, and then I would, then they would, you know, give me some non-effective treatment, and uh, and I would limp out of there. But I saw a lot of young doctors, a lot of student doctors in that time, with their with their wide, dewy eyes, and their their uh, you know the their sense that they were going to one day have a jet ski. That's in their faces, you know what I mean? You look mm-hmm. at them, they're like, they're like, they're thinking Porsche. Porsche. You know, you're thinking, Porsche like you're with about, a personalized license plate. Like you're talking about residents. You know what kind of hours they work on purpose? It, they, they, it's like, it is, it's, it's like being with Arlie Ermey. They deliberately, it's part of the, the, uh, the hazing that affects all of our healthcare that they have to work ridiculous numbers of hours. Yeah. To weed out the weak. To weed out the ones that don't deserve a Porsche with a personalized license plate. To weed, yeah, to, that says to, Dr. Feel Good. To weed out the ones who would take take one step back and go, this is not good for people. This is, yeah, I, need, right. I need that Porsche. Or to, to weed out the ones that are like, is there, is there something else I should be doing? Like, like, uh, like swimming in the Mediterranean right now? <laughs> or, I don't know, maybe, maybe like this guy lying on the gurney. Maybe I should be drinking myself insensible every night and getting in fistfights. <laughs> But no, instead I'm, you know, I'm reading about the uh, anterior cruciate ligament. I'm hmm. dreaming of that Porsche that's going to make this all make sense to me. 
Can you imagine the guy who did the first Tommy John surgery? Can you imagine how much that guy made? Who did the first Tommy? Isn't that the ACL? Isn't that the first? Isn't that you're talking about the? uh, the, Yeah, remember Tommy John, the uh, pitcher. He was the first one. They started calling it Tommy John surgery because it's something that everybody, all the baseball players, started getting. And no, I, think, I didn't read Batman comics when I was a kid. Not at all. I, I just didn't even Tommy open Jones. it at all. No, yeah. no, you know I didn't read. I didn't. I didn't like him. Yeah, you know Tommy John's a baseball player, though. Uh, I, yeah, yes, I agree. He's not <laughs> the one that took acid and pitched a perfect game. No, no, I think that's Rod Stewart. He played <laughs> soccer. He played story, soccer, right? right? I, I have heard the guy. Who, I've heard about this. The guy was tripping balls and nobody got balls. on base. Yeah, tripping balls. That'd be a great name for his memoir. <laughs> oh my me- god that would be a great name for his memoir <laughs> ripping balls you should be writing people anonymous letters about improvement opportunities and i should be coming up with the name of sports memoirs now let me as an aside merlin mm-hmm. yes i'm hearing a lot of digital uh artifacts okay do, do you have do you have like for example like dropbox on i, I know i say that probably like you, you ask me that every time and i don't but I am. Yeah, I'm no- getting total robot by voice from you too, and I'm I'm having no packet loss from mine. It's I'm it's on noticing your end. now that I did not plug my DSL in, and we are doing this over wireless. Wireless. All right. Well, why don't you let's do this? Let, what if you get yeah. a sec? Could you go ahead yeah. and uh, DSL? Yeah. And I'll uh, and I'll pour it in. What does that mean? Pour it in. <clears throat> plug in your fucking thing, and I'll restart. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Give me uh, give me uh, two minutes. Okay, Tommy John. All right, bye. So much better. Is it better? I think it's better. Should we leave all this in? I think we should. Owing to the professionalism. And there's so much I cut out every week, John. I don't know if you ever listen to the show, but I cut out. We record generally, let's let's be honest, we record for six to 11 hours and uh, argue about religion for for four hours. And then I I, I cut out down to the, the best 90 minutes every time. But you leave in everything I uh, all, all the stuff I've been saying about Charlemagne and Napoleon, right? Oh gosh, yeah, you had that whole three episode arc just 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 about Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad somebody heard that. Is, is he French? Is that right? Uh, well, Charlemagne was a was a was a Frank. He was a German, really. Let's let's be honest. He he spoke uh, German. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that was before. That didn't used to always real, be so clear cut, though, right? Yeah, there was there was before there was a really like clear division. His his uh, his favorite uh, town, the headquarters of his empire, was Aachen, which is now in Germany. But it was you know it was it's right on the border. It's the westernmost town in Germany, Aachen. Hmm. <sighs> yeah. Boy, I, so, I'm, I'm glad I left all that in because yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. That's good follow up. Yeah, <clears throat> Charlemagne and stuff. Hmm. But yeah. I think it's important that people realize, Merlin, that you and I are human beings. We're not uh, just two guys with a uh, encyclopedic knowledge of everything. With all of human, uh, we, we, cer- we are certainly not just that. To be we're sure, not just that. We are sometimes guys who forget to plug in their their DSL cables. We are guys who can't lay their hands on their on their bell. Oh wait, wait! I got my bell. Here it is. I was so impressed that uh, uh, so many people knew. That my bell was from an old Parker Brothers Pit. game. It's called Pit. Pit. I, I had not seen that game since I since I took the bell out of it. John, I, I will be completely honest with you. I do promise you that I will laugh and cry with you. I yeah. do promise you that I will help you achieve all your goals. But yeah. most of all, I do promise you that I love you. That's from a poem called I Love You. 
That's that's a hell of a promise. Mm-hmm. I promise you that I love you. I think that's covered by fair use. I just read the last few lines. You know what? It's not. She doesn't say, I promise you that I will love you. She promises you that she loves you. Hmm. Scary. Is that something you really want assurance on? Do you really want someone that feels like they, what would it say in The Godfather? You know, we, we really need to assure each other like lawyers. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, I mean. The thing is, people have this idea that unconditional love is the standard below which they will not accept any other kind of love. And they, and, and somehow this idea that, that any of us deserve to be loved unconditionally or that such a thing is even possible has become a thing that we tell each other and tell ourselves mm-hmm. back and forth. Until, so it se- that, until it seems normal. Until it seems normal. Until there are people of my own personal acquaintance who I know to be unlovable sacks of shit who believe that they deserve not just love, not just not just the love of like their mother, but unconditional love from a partner. Mm. And I look at them and I go, you can, you are unlovable. Mm-hmm. You are a disgusting person. How do you feel like you deserve unconditional love? So if I understand what you're saying, you're saying that really for their own, uh, for practical purposes, they should at least be open to conditions. Here's what I'm saying, that all of us can only love conditionally mm. and only warrant being loved conditionally ourselves. That's like contract law. We should, we should come up with what you can fucking put up with. That's right. Is that fair when to you, say? When you say to a kid, mm-hmm. like, I love you, but go clean up your room, what you're saying is, I love you, but if you don't clean up your room, I will stop loving you. Mm. And so, and but they understand that's a condition. Yeah, and they understand that that's a temporary, that's a temporary love stoppage. Like until your room is clean, like a, like a union would do, like a like a love slowdown. That's right. Yeah, it's a love slowdown. <laughs> it's like the 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 love is going to pile up on the sidewalks. Mm-hmm. It's going to start to smell bad in the sun mm. until you get the room cleaned. And in our relationships with one another, you see this happen all the time. Like, oh yeah, I mean, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you really mm-hmm. screwed me. You really screwed the pooch last night on the whole like washing the dishes after dinner thing. So I'm going to be kind of pouty and respond monosyllabically for an hour or two it's all conditional love conditions 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 I don't, I, your feelings for laurie did yeah. you did you have conditions in mind when you when you didn't give her chocolates did you well, let me put it this way if you if you had had a chance to talk to her and she and she had given you anything more than let's be honest a completely perfunctory fucking valentine if you had had a meeting of the minds with her as, as judge wapner would say mm-hmm. how how would what kind of contract would you both accept and offer to a laurie God rest her soul. Well, here's the thing. Lori, by all appearances, had a crush on Brian Namini. Fucking Brian Namini. And Brian Namini, first of all, he was... What a horrible a, name. He was a little teeny uh, elf-like boy who was like the same size as the girls. And he was pretty like the girls. Oh, and he had like non-threatening. He had blonde feathered hair. And it's not that he was particularly suave. He was just... He was like Nick Rhodes, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he was, he was a he was pretty. He's pretty. Mm-hmm. I didn't even dislike him. I liked Brian Namini. He was completely inoffensive. But why Lori Basler should love Brian Namini, or not even love him, but just like she 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 gave him a lot of attention? Did you did she, do you think she was aware of your of, of of your feelings? I mean, she never got she never got the heart. She had to have been aware of them, but then that is a mistake I've made my whole life. Assuming assuming say, that they know nope, the conditions. Assume, Assuming that the that the person knows how I feel, even though well, all of my outward actions are to look away 
when they are there. And I mean, if we had inkwells, I would have dipped her pigtails in the inkwells. She didn't so even have pigtails. Oh my God. That's such a great way to show that you love somebody. She had blonde hair and she had a Dorothy Hamill haircut mm. because that was the fashion at the time because mm-hmm. of Dorothy Hamill. Because it was oh, you were same. awfully young. So you're like eight, eight or nine. Yeah, 8 to 10 to 12. I mean, it was she Oof. was my first. She was my first. And oh, really, that's awful. Really, the last time I ever felt that way about The last time I let myself ever feel that way about somebody. Because who can take the heart, heartache? Did I want to be 24 years old mm-hmm. and have my dad eating that box of chocolates, <laughs> that self-same box of chocolates? You don't I, need that shit. <laughs> yeah. Did, did I want my dad, like, opening up the box with the engagement ring in it and being like, oh, look at this. Uh, free ring. <laughs> I'm sorry that I can't get away from the idea of the conditions, but you hear that phrase so much. You know, it's, yeah. it's one of those things unconditional like... Unconditional love. We hear people say things like incipient, but you never hear them say sipient. Like, you hear, un, you hear unconditional love. You never hear people talk about the obvious fucking elephant in the room, which is what should be the conditions of love. Now, that would be... love. That would be... The conditions of love would be a, a, a terrific Susan Paulus Schützenfest. And the number Scheisen. one condition that most people con- put what's it called? What did I say? What did I say? The conditions of love? The conditions of love. That's it, good. Wasn't that a Peter Gabriel record? The number one condition that people put on love is that the other person must love them unconditionally first. You know what I mean? That's the number that's the number one thing. I'm hitting it with a pencil because I so agree with you. You're absolutely <laughs> fucking right. Yeah. I'm gonna I hit don't hit with my unconditionally. That's, that's my number good. one condition. Oh, that's good. Here's the first you know what it is? It's like asking the genie for more wishes. You go in and you say, Here's here's the condition is you have no conditions. My first wish is I want five more wishes. Fuck you. Shut up. It's all over for you. That, you're you know, fire. okay, but here's the thing, John. John, you are a scientist, you're a rationalist, you're a Hobbesian. You're a man who is not afraid to argue with John Vanderslice about the price of a trailer that was not going to be right. bought. I'm still arguing with him. Harrowing, harrowing moment in my life. <laughs> I've seen you. I've seen you argue with people about things that did not need to be argued about. Until I realized, after hearing you argue about it, it sure as shit needed to be argued about. So here's what I'm saying to you: You're a man who's not afraid. John, are you a man who's afraid to discuss a con- discuss a condition? Absolutely not. We should establish what the conditions are. That's the primary directive. This is not what I signed up for. These nacho chips and this 14 year old girl in, in in my dressing room is not anything that's going to put gas in my van. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Don't try and pay me with Dasani water. I want American dollars. That's fucking raccoon aqua, my friend. You yeah, yeah. so here's the thing. You have it seems to me you have not only have no compunction, you have the opposite of compunction. You have incompunction about going to people and fucking throwing down some conditions, right? Mm-hmm. You right. you well, say bring the genie like, to me. Here's here's the first thing I say is what yeah. are your conditions? Oh, like, make I, them make them come come up with the price first. Yeah, I'm not I'm not the guy who's like here are my conditions. This I'm is part some... of the problem with the Vanderslice trailer. We're going to have to cut this whole thing out. Was that, that was something you had not even completely negotiated. The part you had negotiated had been reneged upon uh, vis-a-vis a third party that you had no uh, litigious control over. Correct. Right? And I've never Correct. been to law school, but it seems to me that that was the problem, was that there was a, there was a loophole in, in the condition trap. The whole, bu- the whole business of like agreeing with somebody over the telephone about how th- something's going to go, and mm-hmm. then when you see them next, they're like, well, I didn't agree to that. That is a real, oh boy. That, that, that's got to really stick in your legal craw. It gets me going. It really does. How do you open the post-negotiation uh, settlement on something like that? Do you point out, you point out that you said something different on the phone? Do you, pu- do you push fucking reality into their face? You have to do it once. Mm-hmm. But make them, they, make if, them smell it. You did this. Yeah. You did this. But if they say, if they say like, I, I have no recollection, then, <sighs> then it's just like, well, I mean, then you have to, you have to retreat back to what, 
what's at stake here? Like, am I, am I prepared to take this thing in this instance, in this hypothetical instance, this large van trailer, a hypothetical trailer that was going to cost you trailer, gas, am I, am time I prepared to drive this trailer back to Washington from California mm-hmm. just on principle? Just on principle, am I prepared to take this trailer back to Washington? So many people would say no. The answer is yes. Absolutely yes. On principle, I will take this trailer away from you. I will burn this trailer in the desert rather than give it to you for one fenning less than we agreed to on the phone. Right. And uh, it's, ex- it's existentially usurious yeah. for you to be put in that situation. Yeah, you don't. Now you're the you, asshole. I don't think so. You don't do the. You don't do the thing where you're like, oh yeah, we'll figure that out when you get down here, and then be like, oh, I thought we had it all figured out, which was that you were going to take it in the shorts. Here's something just to think yeah. about. I mean, <clears throat> if you if you, uh, I, I don't actually read to the end of contracts a lot of the time, but yeah, it seems to me that, that that a contract is where you both agree that something's going to happen by a certain date. And, and and perhaps importantly, what you know, what the terms of that are. But I think very importantly, what happens if the conditions of this are not met? It seems to me that that's part of the clarity of, of a contract, right? right. Well, and th- and this is the problem because there was a time until very recently where, in a situation like that, you could avail yourself of the option of punching them in the nose. <laughs> But we have convinced ourselves that civilization requires... <laughs> you think requires, that's a legal... That's a mode of legal recourse up until it's, recently. It's certainly why well, I, I think President Andrew Jackson punched a lot of guys in the nose. It's in the Magna Carta. The they said you're either your signature or your brains are going on that thing, John. That's right. And Charlemagne would take him out to the river and he would say convert to Christianity or try and breathe underwater. Is that right? And that's, yeah. that's how we know that you were a true believer are bad. It's like a ducking, uh, ducking stool. Well, well, or just like either, either you're either we're going to have a, a Christian world, or we're going to have a lot of dead people in this river. Hard or easy. That's right. Hard way or the easy way. So, so uh, it was not very. It was until very recently that we we could still say like a punch in the nose is on the table here as one of a potential list of rewards and consequences as part of this negotiation. It's implicit. It's one of those things like don't show up naked. Like it's one of those yeah. things where I shouldn't have to tell you this. Yeah, that's right. You, the, now, I always now, I will hold I will hold as a mode of recourse fucking punching you in the face and I don't even need to say that. Right. But hmm. we have decided as a as a culture, as a civilization, that punching people in the nose is barbaric and that and that we know it is no longer an option. Yet the behavior that would warrant a punch in the nose, we have not evolved beyond it. Hmm. Right? There are certain behaviors that people still exhibit all the time, assholishness douchitude these are behaviors that there's really no recourse except a punch in the nose like that that's the only that's the only appropriate response but we've hmm. taken the punch of punch in the nose off the table so you get these situations where someone is being a douche you can't punch them in the nose because that's uncivilized mm-hmm. and so you are at an imp, you're in a, at an impasse you there you can't respond to a douche in any other way you can't argue with them mm-hmm. you can't convince them you can't there's you don't you, you, there's nothing you can hold over their head, so they're just they're just dancing in a field of flowers, just douching it up, and they know there are no consequences mm-hmm. because if the, you, the punch in the nose has been taken off the table. Yeah, if you even make a fist, mm-hmm. you have become part. You've become part you know, that's of that's assault. That that counts as that's assault. Right. That's right. The, the 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 threat of a punch in the nose is is now considered. A lot assault. of people don't understand the, the the difference between assault and battery. And here's the thing: mm-hmm. I'm like anybody. I don't want to get punched in the nose. No. I agree that punching people in the nose is barbaric. 
I've been punched in the nose, unlike a lot of my contemporaries. I have good reason to not want to be punched in the nose. And let me tell you, the fear or the threat of being punched in the nose, actually, it actually changed my behavior at a certain point. I was getting punched in the nose with surprising regularity, and I wanted it to stop. And I didn't so you understand. started holding up your side of the bargain because you I knew it was say, on the table. Well, this can't, this, this, either this is a vast conspiracy or I'm getting punched in the nose because of something I'm doing. And then I started to say, maybe I should stop being such a flaming asshole to people who are bigger than me or have violent eyes. And, uh, and I, and I became a more, I became a more moderated person. And, uh, <laughs> And unfortunately, I do not like to be the one who delivers punches in the nose either. Mm-hmm. But there are those certain situations in, in life when someone at the supermarket does not keep moving, does not get out of the way. Oof. And when you ask them to either keep moving or get out of the way, preferably both. Mm-hmm. You got to do turn, both. It's keep moving and get out of the way. That's what they people turn don't to understand. You and they give you some horseshit uh, entitlement lecture about like, like you're stepping how, Like you're stepping on their obscure religion. Yeah. And you look at them and you go... The threat of a punch in the nose is the only, that is the only thing I have here now. That's the only, it's the only, the situation warrants it, first of all, but Mm -hmm. also it's my only recourse. And yet, if I do it, this person is going to literally call the police. Mm. And Mm -hmm. then I'm going to be the guy. You probably probably lose your, you lose your place in line too. You you know, you lose your place in, you lose your place in the big line, (laughs) which is the line up to the head of the class where people, where people start listening to your podcast. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you lose your lot. You, you lose primogenitor. Hmm. 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 You, you don't want it splashed across the headlines. John, John Roderick punches old lady in the face because of I, the conditions, John. I, I, I had, I had a situation uh, like this a, a, a few kidding, years ago really? where I was at a, an event and I, uh, and some guy, some drunk guy was shouting in my face and it was a hectic situation. A lot of people, there was kind of a brawl. A lot of people, people were falling down. Other people were in trouble. People were shouting my name, like, come help me. Mm. And this guy's in my face and he's shouting in my face and it's getting spit on me. And I told him a couple of times, like, you need to please like step away from me. Please back up. Please do not shout in my face. And he's drunk, right? So he's not. So and and he believes that that excuses him, or at least you know he believes that he is funnier than he is. He believes he's smarter than he is, and he's quicker witted, and that he has faster reflexes than he does. And he's right there in my face, and he says something about how there are going to be consequences. And he's talking about a friend of mine that's across the room that's calling my name. He's in between me and this guy. There are going to be consequences. Blah blah blah. And I said. Well, I don't even remember how it happened, but I was like, there are going to be consequences. Pow! And I, I punched him right in the nose. And unfortunately, it was, it was a well-landed punch in the nose, and he began to bleed all over the place. Mm. And I have to say that it did not, that me punching this guy in the nose did not de-escalate the situation mm. World, worldwide. Like in the room, in the spilling out onto the sidewalk, now it was a free-for-all. And he was screaming, and the aid car came. And, what's, uh, the, what's the aid car? Uh, the, the ambulance. It, oh, oh, I thought maybe ambulance. it was one of those yellow light things, but it's not quite the police. 
No, 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 no. Community, the, uh, community, the community service people that, that pull bums out of dumpsters. No, this, <laughs> this was like a bona fide. And they weren't there for him. They were there for some other person who had gotten hurt in, a, in some other aspect of this brawl. But here I was. I punched this guy in the nose. I felt like such a, a, a ding dong. And then he, then it, after, I mean, he certainly retreated. But then he, when he was surrounded by people who were like petting his hair and telling him it was going to be okay, he got bold again. And then with blood on his shirt, he stands up and confronts me again, screaming. And now, now he's getting blood on me. And I punched him in the nose again. Oh, and I'm, no. I'm really not proud of it. But the, but the problem was that the following day, he took it to Facebook. Oh, this is as recently as Facebook? Yeah, yeah, no, this <gasps> is just, this is very recently. I'm not proud of this story, but he took it to Facebook and was accusing me. And it turns out, turns out. Mm-hmm. He was gay. Oh, and so, so he, you, it was a hate crime. So it was a hate crime, and he tur- he turned it into a thing where I was I had I had uh, gay bashed him. Oh come and, on! But he was he was like crazy drunk guy, and, and his friends just, were not just, like grabbing just, him and pulling him away. No, his friends were all drunk too, and they were just they were. It was one of those things where they had they were, they were living in a world where they believed they were post punch in the nose. Mm-hmm. Right, and so you can get up in somebody's face in a bar. You can get up in us in the one sober guy in the bar's face, drunken spittle on him, screaming at him about about bullshit and telling him that there are going to be consequences and all this stuff. And you believe you're living in a post punch in the nose reality, mm. and and then you get punched in the nose, and you realize you are not in a post punch in the nose reality. That may be. And, that must be, if I may say, rather sobering. It was well, but then when 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 he sobered up and when he when he weighed the situation, he again believed he was living in a punch post in the post punch in the nose reality because he began to threaten legal action. He began to call it a hate crime. He did all these things, all these kind of like shaming tactics and and this and 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 operating. Operating on the assumption that a punch in the nose above all else, like mm-hmm. to resort to physical violence in a scenario where you are being, let, let us say, emotionally violent. But wasn't this guy a tacitly uh, like threatening violence against you? He's talking about well, consequences and stuff? That, Isn't that, that's, it, that's the thing. When you're, when, uh, people who are living in a post-punch-in-the-nose world, they, they, can, they believe they can get up in your face and talk about that there are going to be consequences and be physically threatening, but that they, but, but since a punch in the nose is impossible, then they aren't actually being physically threatening. They don't, they, they don't perceive themselves as threatening violence, even though everything they're doing is suggesting that. But What's because they, they, it, what do they think? It's like two pro wrestlers on the phone. I yeah, mean, like they, they nothing's going to happen. They think it is a giant costume drama, or they think that it's it's something that they've seen in, on television where people get up in each other's face, <sighs> and that that is that that happens in a vacuum, and that it isn't like it isn't a hundred thousand year old tradition of escalating a situation until somebody punches someone else in the nose, and it's really I I. I, I I, I, I confess to being a, a little bit prehistoric in this regard, that there are some situations where, particularly if you're standing on my shoes, 
and spitting in my face. It does not matter what your sexual orientation is, and nothing could be more paternalistic or more, I don't want to say homophobic, but nothing could be more paternalistic than going, you are such a flaming asshole who is threatening me with violence, and now I'm going to sit here and parse your sexuality. I don't think that's how it works. Well, and I, that, that, that's, that was the least of my concerns, the, 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 because he was also a university person, and he was, taught, he was you know, threatening all the different levels of which this was, in a, this was bodily A assault. university person? Uh, by which I mean he was a graduate student. Oh, dear me. So he had all of the language. So he, he could write a, write a uh, dissertation about you. He could. He could write a very – he could write a strongly, series of Strongly long, worded thesis. Very long series of Facebook posts. But, what, of course, what he didn't know is that I'm also, a, that I'm also an amateur lawyer. So I knew, <laughs> uh, I knew that he didn't know what he was talking about. And I just, I just blocked him. Did you call him counselor? <laughs> I'm blocking you, counselor. I was like, tell you what. Go ahead, yeah, and get get all your friends all real upset about it. But what? But oh, the whole point of this was that I became conscious at that point of being a public figure, and the, Ooh, the sense yeah. was not that I was a guy in a bar who had punched an asshole in the nose, but it was that I was a a person whose whose uh, name uh, was recognizable and who was a recognizable character, and so this guy had. You know, it's the it's the I spilled McDonald's coffee in my lap and I'm suing them for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. His reaction was not commensurate with with the with the incident. You, was, you know, you know that coffee actually was too hot. I know it was. Okay, I know the coffee's too hot. The hot tub's too hot. I can't, I flew all the way down here. Yeah, we got to put out all this wicker just for you. Yeah, we got we got these, we got the small chair just for you, and you're never happy. <laughs> it's not but, funny. It's too hot. <laughs> it's not funny. It's it's too hot. <laughs> But, uh, I still watch that once a month. <laughs> but but uh, but he then was you know he was blowing his injury out of proportion. I don't mean really. He posted a picture of himself. He did look terrible. <laughs> oh, he had black eyes. But I mean, I know that there are people who are listening to this who are saying to themselves, "I don't want to be punched in the nose." Nobody wants to be punched in the nose. Therefore, That's why we have I, it. That's why it's there. I don't think punching someone in the nose is an appropriate reaction, or I don't think it is. I don't think it should be on the list of consequences. That we have in civilized society, and uh, and I'm afraid that um, I agree with you. I don't like to be punched in the nose either. I don't like punching someone in the but nose. But this is this is this is the point. This is the point of the whole thing, and this is where the conditions come back. If in. you don't want to be punched in the nose, don't drunkenly stand on somebody's shoe tops. No, no, it's, it's absolutely true. I'm, I'm, here's my only, my only that thought. Should be, that yes. should be that should be on the front page. It should be on the the title page mm-hmm. of the uh, the. Owner's manual for being an adult. If you, you were the, if you were the TA for whatever he was writing on, on Facebook, your note in the margin would be, you need to go spend a little more time on the history of, of what it used to be like in pre-punch-in-the-nose culture. That's right. And you need to be well, ready. The fact there's going to be traditionalists. There's going to be, there's going to be people who still like the shakers, like the friends. There are people who st- still cling to these values. You know, Just because they don't own a car doesn't mean they can't run you over with something. You know, that's true. Okay. I think a lot of people think that they are smaller than they are. Like they, they inhabit their own body and their own soul. And they think that they are smaller and less significant than they appear to be to other people. You know, so this guy, his perception of himself, it was probably that he was an elfin, um, delicate flower that, and that was obvious to everyone. And he does not realize that he is a five foot 11 screaming monster of an Mm -hmm. alcoholic and so his reaction to being punched in the nose is somewhat based on his self-perception of being like this defenseless uh victim Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. that he's that he's felt like he's been his whole life. And in, in actual fact, most people who feel like victims, I mean, most of the people who are like cutting you off in traffic, who are being total cocks to you in the in the supermarket, if you really get to the bottom of their problem, it is that they feel like a victim all the time. They feel like everybody's stepping on them. And that's why they're justified in being a being a shithead all day. Hmm. Well, as, as somebody who who really is a giant pussy, I, I'm not qualified to really address this. I, I mean, I, I like you. I am an am an uh, amateur lawyer as well. It, yeah. it just seems to me though that that there actually was an opportunity for both of you here to learn. You have a, you. I mean, I'm not saying that that you taught him a lesson, quote unquote. The real lesson would have been talking to him after about why you fucking punched him in the nose and yeah. said, "Hey, look, I used to be that guy. I've been punched in the nose a lot. I've been you." I've well, here's the problem twice. with alcoholism. It is that it clouds your thinking and it makes you not interesting to talk to. Hmm. I mean, what I learned in that was that uh, even though I had not punched somebody in the nose in many years, I still I still was able to do it hmm. and walk and walk away, you know, feeling pretty good about myself. Hmm. Not good about myself. Let's let, let me. I mean, I felt I felt ashamed because I believe me, I've drank the I've I have I've had more than a few cups of the Kool Aid <laughs> that says. That violence is not a solution. Mm-hmm. I, so I did not feel good about it. But when I replayed the events, I, I absolutely arrived at that punch in the nose moment and each time punched him in the nose anew. <laughs> you, replay, you replay it in your head. You, re, oh, oh, yeah. I replay, yeah. Every, I replay all these podcasts in my head. I don't listen to them. No. But I replay them and I think, hmm. Should I have punched Merlin in the nose at that point? No, I shouldn't have. He's a long way away. Well, I hope I've never. I hope I've never gotten completely to that point. The 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 the, the major progress that I've made in life is has been uh, l- gradually coming to an understanding that I am not a victim of anything of anyone. You're taking power in your life. Well, it isn't even that. It's just eliminating the eliminating the sulky option of feeling like other people are inflicting life on me. That everything that everything bad that happens right. at the it's, end it's of the has day been visited upon you. Well, this this is something Susan Paula Schutz has has addressed when oh. she says this life is yours. Mm-hmm. Take the power to choose what you want to do and do it well. Take the power to control your own life. No one else can do it for you. Take the power to make your life happy. Susan Paula Schutz. So she didn't use the word love once in that poem. I didn't read the whole thing. Oh, take the power. So she's take this well, life is yours. Take she's the getting power. a little Anne Randy there. Mm. Yeah, take the power, build the railroad. I think take the power, asshole, would be more Ayn Rand. Right. Oh, I see. No, w- way to way to correct my pronunciation. Of oh, Ayn- sorry, Rond. Sorry, Ayn, Ayn Rond. Lobby. Ayn Rond. La- Lobby. <laughs> it's a Moog synthesizer. It's not a Moog. It's a Moog. <laughs> Man, was she sick for a long time, Laurie? You know, uh, we went to different high schools. Mm. And so I... In one sense, I only saw her one more time, which was at a cross-country running meet uh, my junior year in high school. And this was right in, right in the, that moment where right, it was after I decided, it was after really that my dad decided that I was going to be a cross-country runner. But before we all realized that cross-country running was not going to, that was not the way I was going to get into the Olympics. My first cross-country running meet the the other kids on the team i'd never run cross country and the other kids on the team were like what you have to do is you know we all start in a big group of people and you have to you have to get out in front you have to get out in front of everybody because otherwise you get you get back in the pack and you you, you can't move and i was like okay right get out in front of everybody and the gun went off 
and I sprinted. And by the time we got to the half mile mark of this 10K race, I was 200 yards in front of the next closest runner. And I said to myself, I am the king of this sport. Why has no one ever done this before? I am the greatest cross-country runner in the world. I'm not even tired. And I am, they can't even see me. I'm so far ahead. And people were cheering. They were like, he's a genius. And we rounded that first turn and we headed up that first hill. And about halfway up that first hill, my heart turned to stone. And I could not, I could not get enough air. In my lungs, no matter how hard I tried to breathe. And one by one, every runner from every high school in the state of Alaska ran past me as I gasped <laughs> for breath. And the, and cheer, this, the cheering died down? The cheering died down. And at, you know, at the two-kilometer mark, I was, I was limping like a flogged mule. <laughs> and I had to continue to run that race just like... I, I mean, like like a war veteran. <laughs> I, I came in so you far. You mean like with, with with crippled legs but proud yeah, yeah. resolve? Yeah, yeah, I was. I yeah, like turkey legs. And I ran. I when I crossed the finish line, all the other all the other runners from all the other uh, schools were already on the bus <laughs> in their sweats. And I dragged my ass across that thing, and I lay on the grass. Uh, I lay on the in the grass, gasping. And, uh, you know, and no one really had anything nice to say. Everybody was just kind of was like, yeah, good effort or whatever. I, I don't I think my dad was, I think my dad was in the car listening to eight track tapes. <laughs> Home they pour you shoulders high. <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania six, 5,000. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs>